Shalom, y'all. I'm Spencer Bolduc, and welcome to Sound the Shofar, the quest for biblical truth. Today, I'll be going over my own background and uh, talking over some different things that have uh, affected me and ultimately brought me to where I am right now. So this is the About Me episode. Um, so let's go ahead and get it. Now I'm going to understand if people want to skip it on this episode. Um, because I don't really like to talk about myself. But I did feel it necessary to give a personal background um, into how I think and how I think has been affected by my life experiences. Now, this is true for everyone. Um, And because I've had a lot of different, very different experiences, um, these will influence the way that I think and a lot of the thoughts that I have on certain subjects that we'll cover um, within this podcast over time. So um, just as an example of things that I have been and done, um, I've been a campus pastor, a Bible teacher, commission officer, United States Army. Um, I've been a missionary, the Middle East, China, Europe, um, a little bit in Africa, um, I've done a lot of jujitsu. I'm kind of an addict about that. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in an episode, uh, soon. Um, currently I'm a PhD candidate, um, in a Bible program at Liberty University, um, and doing this podcast thing part-time. Um, so a lot of these things um, have come to be through people that have helped me in various ways. So um, so rather than like talking about myself at first, I want to give credit to whom credit is due. Um, and so first and foremost, that would be um, those that personally affected me and raised me. Um, so my family. My family has been there for me always. They've always been supportive, uh, loving, caring. Um, My family, they shared uh, the good news about Jesus with me when I was little. I trusted in him. Um, My life was changed. Even in at that young of an age, I knew something different had happened within me. Um, But... As the Christian message um, unfolds, it's that's the entrance into the kingdom. That is not the end goal. So my life has changed significantly and grown as well as it should be. Um, so my uh, father, he came from a Franciscan Catholic background, um, my mom, Southern Baptist, um, my grandfather and grandmother, uh, they worked with uh, 
uh, planting Southern Baptist churches. Um, I went to a Southern Baptist church. Um, so a lot of the, at least first people that will see this, um, a lot of them are from that church, Ovilla Road Baptist. Um, it's always been an incredible uh, church and very supportive group of people to me personally in my life. Um, also, uh, Ovilla Christian School is a uh, private Christian school that the church hosts um, as a ministry. I went there for high school. Um, that was also influential in my life. Um, and one thing that I'll point out that uh, was kind of the kickstart for my own personal ministry was when um, our high school had a mission trip to Mexico. Um, and during that trip, um, God changed my heart significantly. Um, and I was, I was so moved by that trip that I went back to this uh, little orphanage um, for the summer. And during that experience, um, I definitely had some worldview changes. For example, when I first got there, I was like, hey, I'm going to come in and help. It's like, what do you all need help with? And they're like, well, hey, the trash hasn't been taken out in a while. Um, so, like, help them with that. Like, okay, that's no problem. Went out there, and these trash cans, um, they had thousands and thousands and thousands of maggots and maggot juice and it was like the most terrible smelling thing ever and my nose doesn't even work very well and it was uh overwhelming um and and i just remember at least that i was a little overwhelmed by it but then a few weeks later i remember looking and seeing and there was a hispanic woman that was digging through those same trash cans for things she could sell or eat or keep. I, I don't I don't really know. But I had like this this worldview shift where I, I knew that I wasn't rich um, before that. But in that moment when I'm seeing someone digging around in the trash where maggots were, um, in that moment, I felt like coming from the U.S. and my family and my, my culture, um, I truly have been blessed and I truly am rich. Um, so those started to affect some of the ways that I, I thought, um, especially about the world in general. Um, that's all I'll say for about, about what the orphanage, um, <clears throat> from there, I went to a, my first university, Arlington Baptist college. Um, and that was the worst experience, at least schooling experience I've ever had. Um, a lot of, a lot of people may talk about legalism, um, or see conservatives as 
legalistic people. And I didn't really understand that uh, as coming from a conservative background, um, coming from a, um, a Christian family that tried to hold to the Bible. Um, legalism wasn't really a word that made sense to me until I came to that school. Um, and I do hope that they've changed since then, but at the time, I remember we just had rules for everything. Um, when we went to class, I had to be wearing a, um, a tie, uh, Oxford style shirt, uh, dress pants, dress shoes, um, and if you didn't have a tie on, you couldn't go to class, and... There was all sorts of kind of weird things that happened in the school. Everything from uh, one of my friends was reading a King James Bible. Um, actually, let me take that back. He was reading a New American Standard Bible. And he was doing this in public. And he had to go see the dean because he was reading... A version of the Bible that uh, was not the King James Version. This was a problem for them uh, because they viewed the King James Bible as the only inspired Word of God um, as that translation. Um, so I, 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 I have studied a lot about Bible translations just because of that. Um, and that was kind of the one of one of the starts where my views on the Bible uh, were being affected significantly, and I was I was um, I was fed up with the way that they were handling the faith. Um, I didn't quite understand what the problem was exactly, but they were trying to find. Or live out their salvation through a list of rules that were primarily man-made. Um, I mean, like, I, I couldn't have facial hair or my hair couldn't be longer than two inches because they, that was the rules. Um, so they just, they constantly made rules and rules and rules and then um, try to rule people's lives through these rules. Um, that never really made sense to me. So, um, <laughs> when I had the chance, I was out of that school. Um, so I, I, I switched over to a place called the college at Southwestern. Um, today that name has been changed to Scarborough college. Um, and this is a college of Southwestern Baptist theological seminary. Um, I know that's a mouthful, but um, it's a great school. When I went to the undergrad, um, I was I was kind of amazed on how much I I felt like I was missing out on before. Um, they taught us how we could read anything, any ideology. Um, any belief that we could go after any 
of those things and we could be confident in the truth of Christ. Um, usually conservatives are labeled as the ones who aren't willing to, um, to really consider other beliefs or, or that they're not free um, to read other things. Um, and I felt with this experience that was very much not accurate. Um, in many ways, um, like later on, I, I, I'll, I'll, um, I would go to a, um, uh, the University of Texas at Austin, and I felt it was the opposite there, that I could only really consider uh, liberal views and uh, the accepted liberal views, and I couldn't go beyond those. Um, so conservative values weren't really able to be brought to the table. Whereas when I was at a conservative Christian seminary, especially a Baptist seminary, um, I actually felt like I could talk about these things. Um, now we were there and we generally had um, already uh, similar views, but that wasn't true for everybody. So um, I was really, really appreciative of that education there and i'm still very thankful for um how they helped to mold the way not just in like what i think is true but on how to approach truth um so i thought that was that was really awesome um kind of the next um big thing that was through smaller pieces of time. Um, I went on uh, some short mission trips to Cameroon and China, and some of my experiences there greatly affected um, the way I think as well. Um, I remember being intimidated by Islam. You know, it's a it's kind of a scary religion, um, especially if you don't know that much about them. Um, and I remember uh, going in to tr try to share the gospel with an imam, a um, mosque leader. And the more I talked with him, trying to share the gospel, I was trying to talk about Jesus with him, the more I came to find that he didn't really know Islam either, but he was the person in charge. So he would quote things um, that were supposedly from the Quran that just weren't accurate. It wasn't even from the Quran. Like some, like it was, he was just making it up or something. And I started to realize that um, like darkness or kind of like dark forces, dark beliefs, evil beliefs, um, they don't really care where they get their sources. Um, they're going to try to take power through convincing people um, of lies, basically. Um, so I saw this kind of weird combination of power and ignorance um, and poverty. I mean, we were going through one village and um, we were given pencils 
to give as presents to the village. And I remember thinking, this is pretty dumb. <laughs> I feel so terrible that like there's so many things we could bring to the village. Why would we bring some pencils? And then they were like, don't show all the pencils at once because they're going to mob you. I was like, what? So sure enough, we, um, you know, handed out like pencils only in people's homes or whatever. We didn't do it in the street. And and it was like you gave a thousand dollars to somebody. They were um, ecstatic. I was, I was trying to look for the word. Um, and I I just didn't quite understand that. How could you be so ecstatic about a pencil? Um, and the truth is, they're so poor that when they were needing to, you know, get their kids to 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 try and study and to school, they couldn't afford the basic materials, aka a pencil. So, um, that. You know, you see something like that, and that'll change some of your perspectives. From there, I became a missionary with the International Mission Board. Um, I was in Egypt and a little bit in France. Um, there's, there's, there's too much for me to even like begin um, exactly on all that happens uh, over the course of two years, but. One thing that I'll share that is particularly helpful and and has helped reshape some of the way that I think. Um, When you go to school, especially um, university and and writing programs, um, you're taught to try to write in an unbiased manner. You're taught to try to take yourself out of the argument and in so doing you're you're kind of highlighting the argument itself and you're trying to not make it personal and the more personal it is the more emotional it is um, the more you can't really um, analyze the facts well well when I was in Egypt, that was the opposite. Um, what I mean is the opposite is that if you wanted to convince someone of something, you would get up in their face, kind of grab onto them, and make it as personal as possible. Um, and I've I've seen this and and done this, and it, it would it will feel like assault at least in the West. Um, But that's just the way they try to communicate. So if you're trying to talk with someone about truth, and and specifically, um, I'll use Egypt as the the example here, and you take yourself out of the argument, and you're just trying to talk facts, um, it just just doesn't resonate. Um, It's not personal. It's not real. And I think the way that they process it, this 
is that if you're not a hundred percent emotional about this, then you don't really believe it. It's not really true to you. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons, one of the big differences between like why we don't understand things in the Middle East. Um, so a lot of times they're being led by zealousness or passion. Um, and and this is what drives some of the things they do. Um, and with Islam, uh, there's further incentive um, within their religion about showing your passion um, towards Islam. Um, that can go to an I can go into another time, but um, th- those are kind of ingrained in the Middle East. Whereas the general Western thought is trying to make it look professional and taking your person, your personal self out of the equation. And, and these are completely opposite. Um, and I mean, but, but think about it. Um, was, was Jesus biased? I mean, was he allowed to be like, is being biased a problem? What does what does that mean? Because um, when I was in Egypt, like you kind of have to be biased. Like you want to throw yourself completely into what you're saying, um, if you believe it's true. Um, and you know this this is something. This is a subject that I'll want to explore further on, but. Um, I'll leave it at that for now, but that has changed um, some of the ways that I think. Um, And there's a lot more in the Egypt experience um, that I can talk about further sometime, but that's kind of an example. Um, When I came back from that missions experience, I went back to graduate school, um, back to Southwestern. and what I noticed, I think the most when I went back to seminary was that after having had several years of seminary training, even though it was the undergrad, um, and then going out on the mission field, I started to realize that a lot of things that people argue about and go into um, at seminary and in theological circles are sometimes a waste of time. Um, just as an example, I, I remember a, a pastor once talking about um, how he was having a split in his church. And, and yeah, I thought that was awful. It's like, what's, what's going on? He's like, well, my people just don't believe in the sovereignty of God. It's like, well, that's pretty terrible. But how big is the split? Like, how how big is your church? I kind of felt a little weird asking that question, but he's like, well, uh, there's seven of us. Uh, seven? 
you know, I, I didn't want to say this to him at the time, but what a joke. <laughs> like, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, what, what's, what is this argument over? And like, why, why are there seven people? Um, so I didn't really understand some of the terms he was using at the time. But later on, I realized that it was because he was a Calvinist and the others were more Arminian. Um, so he believed that everything was predestined and the others didn't. Um, and they were arguing over this and they had a church split over whether everything was predestined or not. And this is a, you know, it, more of a ludicrous example that was real. Um, but when I was a seminary, like this was the number one thing people debated. Um, Reformed or Calvinist theology versus Arminian um, beliefs. And and ultimately, I, I, I think it's all kind of stupid. Um, I can talk, I will talk more about these at some point um it's not that important to me right now but because this is such a prominent argument i kind of have to deal with it unfortunately um all right let's move on to the next one um i actually joined the army after that i know that doesn't really make sense uh from the other things that i've said that i did but I really did feel like God led me to that. Um, and my time in the army, um, one of the things that um, I think stood out to me the most, um, at least in my view with Christianity, is the army, when you join... Like, you kind of take that identity on. You swear in, and now you are in. Um, you may not know anything about the army, but you've sworn in. You've signed the dotted lines. You're now a soldier um, for the next couple years. Um, that's part of the agreement. Well, one of the things that um i was learning through this process of the army is that the regulations regulate the soldier there's uh i don't know how many thousands of army regulations there are um there's regulations about uh the vehicles about training about the way you walk the way you talk um the way you look Everything has specific army regulations and guidelines. Um, and I remember sometime after leaving the army, I, um, I was looking into Judaism and uh, Messianic Judaism. And I remember thinking, Moses and the commandments are kind of like regulations. Um, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, uh, that Christians have about what the law was meant for. Um, a lot of times you'll hear things like, um, God 
sent Jesus to die for us to save us from the law. Um, why would he make something to and then send someone to save you from what he made that was for his people? So there's a there's a lot, <clears throat> a lot of confusion that people have about about that or or thinking that people were saved by following the law. Um, none of those things were true. Um, the law never saved anybody. Um, they were meant as regulations for how his people were to live. Um, and there's a lot of disagreements on what, um, like how the law was to be carried about. Um, this is true in ancient times. This is even true today. There's a lot of people that have thoughts on what is applicable or what is not applicable from the law. Um, and this is something I'll definitely want to talk about later on, um, because how you understand the law also, uh, guides how you live and what you think sin is. Um, so all of those thoughts were kind of affected, um, or those came out of my army experience that, I knew that the regulations don't make the soldier. They regulate the soldier. Um, and I, I that's fascinating to me. So that is something that, um, again, has affected the way I think. Um, after that, went into Middle Eastern Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Um there I studied Arabic and Hebrew, and it was at this time that um, my linguistic ability uh, started to kind of uh, cross hairs with my biblical understanding. I had taken Hebrew before, I had taken biblical Greek before, I had spoken Arabic before, French a little bit. Um, I hadn't really had any breakthroughs, um, but just as a example of a breakthrough that I had with Hebrew, um, is in Shalom. And it's one of the reasons I like to say Shalom, y'all, um, is because Shalom is not exactly the same as peace. There's a little bit of difference. Um, and this is really striking in the Beatitudes of Jesus. So, remember when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, so the peacemakers. I had always thought that that basically meant the person who causes conflict to end. That is peacemaking. But that's not what shalom is. So if I said, blessed are the shalom makers, there would be a, a little bit of nuance. There's a little bit of difference that can actually make it almost the opposite. What I mean is that in Hebrew, if I'm going to ask someone, how are you? It's ma shalom cha. What is your peace? What is your shalom? Um, 
Or you say, Shlomi Tov. My Shalom is good. Um, Shalom has a lot more to do with well-being and wholeness. And it, and it can mean um, absence of conflict. It, it can. But uh, I think there's a lot more centered on completeness. So in saying blessed are the shalom makers, it's like blessed are those who make people whole. And I think this is especially true in the midst of conflict. So one would be saying, like, hey, just get them to stop fighting, and now you've made peace. The other one is saying, we're going to work through this to restore you to where you need to be, even when things are going crazy around you. And that would be shalom-making. Um, so that was that was a really big breakthrough for me um, in how we conceptualize the Christian message. Is the Christian message meant to just cause people to stop having conflicts? Well, you read the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the Bible, you know that's not what fits. There's, There's promise of conflict. There's promise of wars and trouble and persecution. Um, what's important is being whole in the midst of that. So Shalom was like big for me. All right. <clears throat> Last two things. Um, after that, I became a campus pastor. Um, really, it was more of a Bible teacher. And over time, was going to take on more roles of a, of a pastor-like um, figure at the school. Um, and during this time, I started to kind of re-grasp how far our generation has moved from truth. Um, you know, there's a lot of Christian kids at the Christian school, um, but there are so many influences on them um that a lot of their parents don't understand how how far they've moved from even when I was a student there because I was a oh, sorry I didn't mention that it was the school that hired me the school that hired me is the school that I went to when I was in high school um which is pretty cool <clears throat> but um what I was noticing that a lot of things that I didn't struggle with when I was a student there, um, for example, homosexuality, um, that is a question that, um, for the most part, the students didn't really, um, question whether one was, you know, whether it was wrong or right. Um, I mean, I know that, that some struggle with it privately and then people found out later on or something. Um, but, but now like it's an open question. Uh, I remember students, um, 
openly wondering like who cares like like you don't have the authority to even have an opinion about this you know about whatever they want to do and i was like hmm the a biblical worldview has shifted even more i mean it wasn't i wouldn't say that we were right where we were before but things had shifted even more and so I've been noticing a watering down of what the gospel intends for us. I know that's maybe a little bit dense, but um, it's basically saying um, you might have believed in Jesus before and he had certain expectations. Yes, you can still believe in Jesus now, but it seems like he has even less expectations, even less guidelines than he used to have. The, you know, this is a problem. It's a it's a slippery slope, and and we'll be reevaluating uh, the things that Jesus really intends for his people, um, because this is a general trend that keeps happening: is that um, um, more and more biblical values are lost over time. The more we water down whoever Jesus is. Um, So today, I am now in a PhD um, on Bible exposition. Um, This is a time where I'm trying to hone my own skills of biblical interpretation, biblical Hebrew, biblical Greek, how to use those. Um, And more than just the research side, trying to learn how to share those. So I am trying to learn how to better communicate the truths that I find because it doesn't really matter how good my research is if I can't use it, if I can't share it, if I can't help people, if I can't um, improve the body of Christ in some way. Um, So the podcast is a way that I'm trying to do that. Um, And, uh, and here soon we'll, we'll get into using more of the tools. I know we're still kind of in a um, uh, introductory phase, trying to give um, a proper framework for how we approach truth. That's all I have for today. Till next time. Hey guys, I know a lot of you are watching this on video right now, but I do want to let you know that this is available on most podcasting platforms now, so check it out. Sound the Shofar is here to investigate biblical truth. Hear the word, see the truth, make it so.